Praise the Lord. God's a good God. It's nice to be able to use these facilities, isn't it, while we're uh, in renovation mode? I'm not going to get used to the parking lot, though. You, you find the wee religious demons creeping in with, uh, did you see the way they parked, you know? <laughs> Sooner we get back to the old building, the better, you know? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, let's just bow our heads in prayer for a moment. Father God in heaven, Lord, we love you, Lord. We thank you, dear God, in heaven for who you are, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for salvation, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you've put your favor upon us, Lord. You have blessed us with many blessings. I pray, dear God in heaven, that you bless this word, Lord. That you, Lord, you use the words that I speak, Lord, as stumbling as they are, Lord, to, to speak to your people, Lord. I pray you give us something, Lord, for the road. Something to encourage us, Lord God. Something to lift us up. Something to hold on to, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one true and living God. And that you do not change. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this evening, could you turn into the book of Romans? The book of Romans, chapter 5. I'm not going to read too much because we want to keep it brief tonight, as, as my wife has been nudging me to remind me. Added to which, Romans can be sometimes quite difficult to read. Um, because of the language is very theological, so we're going to keep it down to two verses. So chapter 5, verse 20. And it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. The title of my message this evening is The Warring Thrones. You know, my job as a manager is to step back and look at the big picture in my shop and look at what's selling and how things need to be arranged and to step back. And I remember when I took on the job, that was the first thing my area manager says, no, you have to step back. And for us, sometimes it's a good idea to step back and to have a look at our lives, and importantly, our spiritual lives, and ask ourselves some serious questions. You know, our life is, a, as people, we become very used to things. We are used to, to associating life and identifying life with our five senses, things that we touch, things that we taste, things that we see. We get up in the morning, we have our breakfast, and, and life becomes very flat, and we see everything as normal people. And we can get used to that. But there's a difference for a believer. We have been awakened to the reality that this life isn't just flat. That there is a God out there who is in here now. We've been awakened to the fact that he came from heaven, a place that we cannot see. And that there's an enemy that we cannot see. And the truth is that there is a war that we cannot see. Sometimes we can but sometimes we get used to the everyday, to the five senses that we forget 
we forget that there is an enemy and that there is a war. This is something that's it's, it's been sort of let on my heart for a while. You know, the fact that we get so used to things and we forget the spiritual. We forget that other dimension. And I'm not, this isn't a message that's super Pentecostal by any means. This is a, an honest message for believers. We can't disregard what happens in the spiritual realms. Yes, God has won the battle. The victory's ours. But we've still got an enemy out there. We've still got an enemy who might not be reigning in the way that he was, certainly not over our lives, but we have an enemy. He has a throne. The throne is the throne of sin. In the verse that I read there, it said that, um, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Christ Jesus our Lord. So the two thrones are the throne of sin and the throne of grace. And that's what I want to share about this evening. You know, there's a famous movie that had a quote in it. And the quote was that the greatest trick the devil ever played was to convince man that he didn't exist. And you know what? We can get lulled into a sense of complacency, a sense of normality that we think the devil's defeated. That's it. He's not going to touch me. He's not going to affect my life. He's not going to interfere with anything. But the truth is that he's still an enemy. It might be guerrilla tactics like the Taliban in Afghanistan, and that's what he's doing, but he's still attacking. You know, our lives, and we interact with our friends, with our relatives, with our family, with our loved ones, and they say things, sometimes the most innocuous sayings. But just as the Holy Spirit takes the words that come from the Bible, the preaching, and he takes it and he pricks our conscience. The enemy can do the same thing. He can take words that are simply just off the cuff, throw away statements, a comment, a passing remark by someone, and the enemy can use that to get into our heads and get into our hearts. He can drive division between us. He can drive offenses. There's nothing more detrimental in a church than offense and division. So here the apostle paints a picture of two warring thrones, two great rule, ruling thrones that stand in opposition to each other. Their armies arrayed, their weapons are, are prepared. And this is a war that has raged for centuries. Like I said, the, the enemy is a defeated enemy, but he still wages a war. He still has many followers. He still has many who, who unwittingly are his pawns. The centuries have seen many succumb to the throne of sin and others raised to the throne of grace. Because this is not merely a battle of the heavenlies but it's a, or a battle that is fought culturally or socially, but importantly, it is a battle that each of us must face and we do face it whether we like it or not. So I just want to bring this. This isn't going to be a wow. I've never heard this message before. But this is a message just designed to bring it back to our remembrance to make us once again consider these things. The throne of sin and death. I have to warn you, it's going to start there and it's going to get better. So stick with it. The idea of sin is very controversial. The word itself. You know, people out there don't like the idea of Jesus dying on a cross because to them, dying for me, that's, that's, that's an offense. The scriptures actually speak of it as an offense. 
They don't like to talk about it. But in order to put in context, what is a sin? Well, first of all, what is crime? A crime is something that is against the laws of our nation. It's a crime against law. You break the law. You go out speeding, you've broken the law. You haven't necessarily committed a sin. Well, maybe you have, actually. But there are certain laws that are not necessarily sins. You break a law, you've committed a crime. A vice is something that is morally wrong, morally questionable, morally objectionable. But a sin is something that involves God. A sin is always something that comes between us and God. It is not something that happens to our government. It's not something that happens in our relationships. Yes, uh, something happens and it, we, it, it's a sin against God because we should be treating people better. But a sin is always to do with God. Remember David and Bathsheba? Remember he killed Uriah and he ran off with his wife? Well, he didn't run off. He just took her to his house. He, yes, he committed a crime, did something horrible. But what did he say in his prayer of repentance? He said in Psalm 50, against thee and thee only have I sinned. So sin is against God. And the throne of sin is always making attacks against God. Yes, there's no hope of winning, no hope of victory for them, but that doesn't mean they're going to stop. Just as the Taliban in Afghanistan doesn't really stand a chance of, of succeeding, still they attack because that's in their nature. We do not need a PhD in theology to discover the fact that sin permeates every fabric of society. The Bible highlights those things that are sinful and the Holy Spirit applies them to our lives. You know, I like steak. I really like steak a lot. And this is the barbecue season. And I don't know why I haven't had another barbecue yet. I like going out to a nice restaurant as well and having a steak with all the trimmings. Some people like pepper sauce on their steak. Personally, I don't. But have you ever had pepper sauce on your steak? Have you ever noticed that the potatoes taste like pepper sauce? Have you ever noticed the cauliflower tastes like pepper sauce? You ever notice how the steak comes to taste like the potatoes and cauliflower, like pepper sauce? And that's what sin is like. It just covers everything. Even the most best of notions, the best of efforts, it still covers everything. The, the rule of the throne of sin is absolute. It's powerful. I, I, I want to emphasize it in the sense that I don't want us to just merely say, defeated, done. I want us to be aware. We should be aware of our enemy. We should be aware of what, is, what we're against. The wonderful thing about the word of God is that it puts a fig, finger on our malady, on our condition. It, it identifies exactly where we are. Even though part, parts of the scriptures are narrative, their story, the Holy Spirit is always asking us questions. When you read any sort of the stories in the Old Testament or especially in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is asking you, you know, can you relate to these people? How would you react in this situation? That's a wonderful thing. It highlights in us our frailties, our feelings. And that's where the word of God leads men to repentance, the goodness of God. For believers, the definition furnished by Susanna Wesley is spot on. And I love this definition. She was asked by her son, John, to identify what is sin. I don't know the exact words of his question, 
But she was, a, she was obviously a great woman of God to raise two mighty, mighty men of God. He asked her, what is, what, define sin, define what sin is. And he said, she said, take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscious, conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. Whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. So many times we've made mistakes of trying pointing things out and saying that's a sin and that's a sin. And the truth is, you know, the scriptures tell us that, you know, work out your own salvation because the Holy Spirit knows what's a sin to me. Sharon and I were talking about someone recently and they were saying about to this person obsessed with football, obsessed to the point that they, their whole lifestyle is football, football, football. They come in, the first thing they do is switch on the, the match of the day or the highlights or they're flicking on to see who was playing and what the results are. To them, avoiding church, avoiding God, avoiding the Bible, avoiding all that to spend time on that, maybe, just maybe, that's a sin. Now, for me, a casual could care less. I can watch all the football I want, but I really don't want to. So, I wouldn't, so it's not a hard and fast rule. But yeah, I get the idea. It's something that is interfering with your time with God, that is taking you away, distracting you from him. And that is something that all believers must guard against. If you want definitions, you can read Romans 1, 21 to 32. There are many, many listed there. So sin is indelibly programmed into our computer brains, our habits, and our instincts. The throne of sin comes not as a dominating power to be feared. It is not so crass and obvious as to present sin as ugly and, and vicious and, and mean and malevolent. It doesn't present that to the normal person. On the contrary, the seduction of sin is a sweet siren call. And let's be honest, it's not just for the young. Many, many people have fallen to it. It entices and promises so much, offering the forbidden fruit that our fallen nature gravitates towards. Sin wraps itself in a shroud of darkness, sending out invitations and commands to be followed from obscurity. And men think that they're free. I can do what I want. I feel good when I do this, so it must be right. The throne of sin has control over many, many people's lives. They don't even know it. That's the tragedy of it. Sin hath reigned. You know, the, often the, the kingdom of sin or the, king, the kingdom of he, the enemy is referred to the kingdom of darkness. It's synonymous with it. Sin causes spiritual darkness and the things that are black and white soon become gray, soon become okay. I have a friend who, or I should say an acquaintance, who went off with the lure of money to Iraq. An ex-RUC officer thought I could go and learn some money. And I've seen him over the years, in literally two or three years, become less and less sensitive to things. He wasn't a believer to begin with, 
but as he spent more time around military men and that environment and situation like that, the, the temptation which was for extra money, tax-free money, yes, it's going to be great. Yes, he earned a lot of money, but he's in a place that's, that's terribly fearful. His marriage has ended and he's up to all sorts. So it doesn't come in and force itself down your throat. It tempts, it turns everything to, from black and white to gray. Things become more acceptable. Eventually, sin leads to spiritual blindness. You know, and this can happen to believers. We become unaware of the consequences of our actions. Then the throne of sin leads us to shun the world of light. To the sinner, the light of truth, the word of God, the preaching of his word becomes worse and worse. It's like a blistering hot Sahara sun. Can't stand it. I don't want to go there. At first they might, then after a while it's no. You know, the enemy who sits on the throne, he knows how to manipulate us. He's been doing it for long enough. He knows how to get into your head. He knows how to get into your heart. As I said at the beginning, he'll use people's words, people who might seem nice and kind and family, people who love you. He might use their words. He could even use the words of the man of the pulpit, if you let him. The enemy will use what he can to twist and to push and to pull. He's of extremes. He'll always either tell you they're the worst in the world or he'll tell you they're the best in the world. He'll push you and push you. You know, it's important for us as believers to be aware of these things, to consider them. You know, especially to young people and uh, to the new Christians, it can appear sometimes that the enemy has all the best toys. There's all the best things to do. There's endless opportunities, things that they can get up to and this technology, technological age Loads of things, but the truth is that soon they, they run to the end, get to the end of their pleasures and distractions. Remember this prodigal son, he ran off into the far off country. He spent all that he had on riotous living. It was small things, you know, but soon those experiences all ran out. You know, you may say that this message does not apply to me, but as I said, it does. Dangers for all of us. Some sins are obvious and some are private. C.S. Lewis said that indeed the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's the slip road on the motorway. Have you seen? It, it runs alongside it and then slowly it diverges. Sin hath reigned unto death. The result of sacrificing our lives and sacrificing those things that we know to be true to sin and the pleasures of sin is that we are giving ourselves over to the kingdom of death. As Pastor mentioned in his illustration this morning, I was going myself, I was glad he wasn't preaching a similar message, but he mentioned about the man who was doing a noble thing. He was, he was tithing into the church and he was getting blessed and he was tithing more and soon he got distracted and led off into the world. And that's what happens when you go into sin, death follows soon after. Death in our relationships, in our enjoyment of the simple things in life, death in marriages and friendships, death in dreams, our potential for the kingdom of God, our destiny, 
Dreams come on the back of sin, or death comes on the back of sin and does, does not just kill us physically or spiritually, but emotionally and intellectually. And we start to think about how can I get more money for this? How can I get more time for that? How can I do this and that? Other things to... So death blossoms in our life, which is subject to the throne of sin. But as I said, this is a message of two thrones, the warring thrones. This isn't just a message about the throne of sin. That was the low point. You have to be aware of it. We all have to be aware of it. Because the enemy will use things to get inside our minds. He will use things to constrain us, to worry us. And how often have we had something that's quite simple, keep coming back to us, keep coming back to us. Someone made a comment and I can't let go of it. That person hates me. Did you know what they said to me? How often have we had someone say something about maybe what we thought was our best ability? And then we go, hang on, they were actually being negative about me. See, the enemy will use words, will use actions, will use things around us to, to interfere with our relationship with God, will interfere with what God has given us and done in our lives. The throne of grace this will be, be quick and you can be, all, you can be Pentecostal for this one. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Dudley Hall said, grace is a message of unconditional love from the Father of the universe. It's the free offer of the eternal life and we can experience it in all the in the gritty now as well as the sweet by and by. The throne of grace. It's a throne of victory. It's not a throne of defeat. It's not a throne of worry, of doubt, of uncertainty. It's a throne of confidence. We can be confident in what he has done for us. We can be confident of the one who sits on the throne. We can be confident in the fact that he has saved us and redeemed us. There was an old song we used to sing years ago. He didn't build his home in me to move away. He didn't teach me to swim to, to let me drown. You know, what, whatever you're going through, whatever the enemy has told you, whatever lie he has planted in your mind or in your heart, listen, God hasn't finished. God is still the God of grace. He still sits on the throne of grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's all about grace. We have made a choice, if you know Christ as your Savior. You've made a choice You've made a choice turning from this throne of sin, which we are all born to follow. We have turned now to the throne of grace. Amazing grace. I don't need to give a big exposition on grace. It is unique and limitless. It's bound, it abounds with God's love and goodness. It is a distinctive counterpoint to the throne of sin and death where they present a life that appeals to our baser emotions and instincts 
and lead to death, the throne of grace starts with an offer of change, an offer of true freedom. Freedom from the chains that bind to the throne of sin and leads to eternal life. The throne of grace. This is a long quote I've got here, but this is a good quote. It's Abraham Booth. He said, As sin appears clothed in horrid deformity and armed with destructive power, inflicting temporal death and menacing eternal flames, so grace appears on the throne arrayed in the beauties of holiness and smiling with divine benevolence, touched with feelings of the tenderest compassion and armed with all the magnificence of invincible power. By rescuing the condemned offender from the jaws of destruction, by speaking peace to the alarmed consciences of delinquents, by restoring to apostate creatures and vile miscreants a supreme love to God and delight in the ways of holiness. And finally, by bringing them safe to everlasting honor and joy. In a word, the heart of this mighty sovereign is compassion itself. Her looks are love. Her language is a balm to the bleeding soul and her aria is salvation. Such a sovereign is grace. Those who are delivered from her must enjoy a complete salvation. Those who live under her most benign government must be happy indeed. Grace, the throne of grace. It has saved us, delivered us. Praise God for his grace. Thank God that we're no longer slaves to that dirty, stinking throne of sin, but we have been delivered. Thank God for grace. We're no longer subject to those lies of the enemy, those things that would pull us back, the wee hooks, the wee hooks that dig in, the small things that would pull us back. Just as sin and death go hand in hand, now the throne of grace symbolizes and is accompanied by Jesus Christ. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Remember when he took the scroll in the temple and he sat down, or stood up, uh, read from the scroll, sat down or stood up, that's a good one, I can't remember, mine's gone blank. <laughs> Luke 14, 18, it says, he, he read this out and he said this, this applies to him, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of slight sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. My, my, my. Now that's the kind of God I could worship. That's the kind of gospel I could get used to. That's the kind of gospel that would change men's lives. Listen, you're in darkness. I can tell you about one who came to set you free. I came, one who came to deliver you. John 1, 3, verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil, that he might destroy the works of that throne of sin. Jesus was challenged by the disciples of John the Baptist. They asked him, tell us, are you the one or, or should we seek another? Do you remember what he said to them? Go tell John that you know, the, the blind receive their sight and all the rest. What he was referring to or is alluding to was Isaiah 35. And it says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb, dumb shall sing. 
For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the inhabitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. It's a, it's, it's a mighty God. He's a gracious God. He's a good God. You know, we are designed to worship. It's our nature. That's why whenever someone does something good, what do we say to them? Good job there. Whenever a football does, team does well, we said they played well today. We're starting to give praise. That might not be big hands up, stand on, your, stand on your chair praise, but you're still praising someone. It's our nature. It's something that God has planted in us, made us. So either we're going to serve the throne of sin and be you know, used that way, used to, 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 to make score points against God, or else we're going to stand with the throne of God, worship the throne of God, the throne of grace. This throne of grace is superior in every way to the throne of sin and death. Not only did this throne precede the throne of sin, but it supersedes it in every way. Jesus came and lived a pure and spotless life. You remember Pilate said, I find no sin in this man. He came and lived the life that we should have lived, but we couldn't live. And we can't live actually without him. You know, the, the amazing thing about Jesus wasn't just his miracles, although they were amazing. But if you notice, he didn't get up in the morning and start just performing willy-nilly miracles. He didn't cast the Pharisees into outer darkness. He, he didn't suddenly, you know, um, perform miracles, uh, you know, whenever the devil tempted him in the wilderness. What did he do? He presented for us a life lived in service to God, a life full of the Holy Spirit. He presented a target if you will. And then instead of lifting a bazooka and, and performing a miracle, he lived a life with what we have. And he shot the target with what we have. We have the word of God. Didn't he quote to the devil in the wilderness, the word of God? Whenever the enemy, the, the throne of sin, if we're going to still call it, threw those things at him. What did he do? He quoted the word of God. He blew away the target, but not with a bazooka, with the same weapons we have. What a God, what a Christ, what a Savior, and what a throne of grace. You know, we, we, we really shouldn't be bound by anything, the, the, the lies that the enemy has. The, the, the lies of the enemy are, are, are designed to pull us down. Oh, I can't, I, you know, I know the lies the devil has told me. You know the lies the devil has told you. You know those things that has come upon you. Those people have said things to you. Finally, and someone said, amen. Thank God. Finally, we've looked at the throne of sin and death, the throne of grace and Christ. And for the last couple of minutes, I just want to look at where we are in this picture. Remember, as I said, there's a war in heaven. These two thrones are at war with each other. Sometimes there's subtle moves. The throne of sin and death can't hurt God, can't affect God, but it can hit his creation. And it says that we are made in his image. You remember the, the man came to uh, Jesus and said to him, you know, should we give this uh, a tithe unto Caesar? 
And Jesus said to him, show me the coin. And he showed him the coin. He said, whose image is on this coin? And he says, that's Caesar's. And he says, well, then give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And what the follow-up question should have been is, what has the image of God that we should give unto God? And the answer would be, is what bears his image? So we bear his image. So the enemy's out there to do things to us, to affect our minds and our spirits, to distract us and lead us away. To, you know, God has got things for us. And sometimes we miss them because we get caught up with the trivial and insignificant. Romans 5, 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Rather than being entrapped in the snares of sin, the throne of grace is one of elevation. It lifts us up. Psalm 40 says, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the marry clay that served the throne of sin, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Through Adam and sin, we, we were in abject poverty, but through the work of Jesus, we've been raised to sit with him in heavenly places. We have been adopted into the first family of heaven. Now we are heirs and joint heirs. Sometimes we need a reminder of that. You know what? That lie that the enemy told me, the enemy told me that would never change. The enemy told me that I would never get that or get to this place or that my loved ones would never come to Christ or, or that this would never happen for me. But you know what? God gave me a promise. Exceeding great and precious promises actually. To me, they are. The promises he has given me, they are exceedingly great and precious to me. Maybe not to you individually, but to me. What God has promised me is precious to me. And you know what? I'm not going to believe the lies of the enemy. If he's going to lie to me and try and tell me that he is greater than God, listen, he had hundreds of years to stop Christ's arrival. He had hundreds of years to stop those prophecies about Jesus coming to pass. He could have changed the way the Romans crucify people. He could have said, no, they're not going to crucify. We'll do this instead. But he couldn't because God had promised. God had said, this is what's going to happen. He had made promises. He's made promises to me. And how do we reign in Christ by one? How do we reign in life by one Christ Jesus? Well, we reign because we have the victory. Now, I think we make the mistake sometime, sometimes of associating the victory with a change in circumstances. I was talking to Sharon there last week. We were out for a walk, and you know that new married thing? You're sharing all your big stories about your life. And I was telling her about something that had gone on in, in my work. And I was telling her, you know, I was praying about it one day, and I was really just, I was me and God, and we, I, was, I lay hold of the throne of grace, and I wasn't letting go. And you know, the lies that the enemy had told me, in that moment where I was Face to face with God, it broke. The lies no longer counted. Those, those things that the enemy had told me would happen or wouldn't happen, gone like that. 
because I was face to face with my victory. He is our victory. And if he is our victory, then it doesn't matter what the circumstances tell us. See, I had gone through that moment of prayer and I said, listen, I, I need you, Lord. You know, we need more desperation. I tell you that. You know, Lord, I need you. You know, I need you to help me in this situation. I need you to help me in my life. I need you to do something for me because I can't do it myself. And at that moment, I had the victory because I had him. You know what? My circumstances hadn't changed. My job, my work, the people in there were the exact same as they were days before, weeks before, months before, hadn't changed. And you know what? The day later, they were still there. The mo- two weeks later, they were still there. But I had the victory. And I could go back into that situation knowing it didn't matter what they said because I have a God who's bigger. I have a throne of grace that is more powerful. I have been delivered. He is our victory. You know, it's important we remember that. It's important that we remember he is our victory. You know, the journey of the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, it's a fascinating journey. We can sometimes read it and go, them people deserved that. But you know, they were freed from the Egypt and the bondage and the slavery, but they had to gain the freedom knowledge in their minds. Remember this, the, the, the spies went into the land and came out and gave a good report. Two of them gave a good report, four gave a bad. Two had been delivered. Two had experienced freedom. Two knew what freedom was. Four didn't, or 10 didn't. 10 had no idea. They were still slaves in Egypt. Sometimes you have to go through the wilderness to rub off all that slavery. If you're going around in circles, you need a bit of head work. (laughs) They were free in their bodies, but not in their minds. So too sometimes with us. We are free from the reign of sin and death, but our minds are trained in the ways of sin and death. God is taking us on a journey to rub off the sinful nature, to get us thinking thoughts of freedom and not thoughts of slavery. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace. The assault has begun. You're in a war. We're standing in, on one side. Yes, we're on the side of God. We're on the side of the throne of grace. But the enemy's still fighting. As children of God, we have been raised to sit with him in heavenly places. In Adam, we lost the right and privilege to reign, but in Christ, we have been restored to relationship. We have been restored to our place as kings and priests before almighty God. That which is born of God overcomes the world. Now, no longer subject to the laws of the throne of sin, we have been given power and dominion, dunamis and exousia, over the works of the enemy. Faith in God is a great comfort in times of struggle, but it does not end there. And it is good to remind ourselves that we are his children. You know, that gives us, that gives us something. Stuff happens in our lives, things go on, but you know, it doesn't, we don't have to let it affect us. We don't have to let those things pull us back. As I was saying at the beginning there, they're like, we hooks. You ever seen a fishing hook? You know what, you, someone, if you accidentally get a fishing hook caught in your skin, it's a wee small thing with a wee bit of cat gut. But if you get many, 
you get one, you can, you can take it off, all right. But if you get three or four or five or six, each one of them might be wee things, but they slowly, slowly take it and become powerful and they wrap us up. We can chase the rabbit of doubt through the corridors of our minds and wander far from the place that God would have us. Remember it says in the Bible that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. It says in the scriptures that the kingdom of heaven suffers violent and the violent takes it by force. You know, we need to get, sometimes get worked up about these things. We need to go, you know what? The devil has been lying to me for years. The devil has told me that I'm not worth nothing. And I'm not trying to get us all super feeling good, but this is Northern Ireland. We all feel bad about ourselves all the time. We feel bad about our country all the time. But you know what? That's not right. God has placed his love on us, his grace on us. We are his people, his children. It just works me up sometimes. <laughs> if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not a son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? This is Romans 8. Uh, who shall lay a charge to the, uh, uh, God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God. He is making intercession for us. We are not defeated. We have victory because he is our victory. God is a good God. This final quote I'll finish with. With the weapons that God has made available to you, he expects you to capture and to hold captive every thought and idea that comes into your mind. To examine these against the backdrop of the word of God. Those thoughts that are in line with God's will and purpose for your life are to be released and allowed to move freely within your mind. However, those thoughts and ideas that are contrary to the word of God are to be held perpetually captive and cast out of your mind in the name of Jesus. This is the battleground. What, what lies has the enemy been telling you? I want to tell you tonight that you don't have to believe the lies of the enemy. You don't have to believe the lies that tells you, tells you it's the end of the line. You have no hope. Because I can tell you, we have a hope. He is our hope. He is our victory. Whatever the devil has done to, to change your perspective of what God has done for you, let me assure you that God doesn't change. He's the same God that he was yesterday, that he will be today, and he will be tomorrow. He's still in the miracle working business. He still translates people from darkness into light. Whatever you're facing today, let me encourage you, call out to him. Focus on him. You know, the enemy would have you running after him. My dad does this analogy. Now, it is a bit dated, but the analogy he does is, he says, what you should be doing is, you know, remember the old song, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. My dad's analogy, which I'm sure he got from someone else even older than him, is this old song. 
Yeah, this old, old tune, which a lot of uh, people with gray, white hair will remember, the Blue Danube. And it goes, dun, 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 dum, 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 da, 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 da. And he says, what you're meant to do is you'll be walking with Christ, arm in arm, dancing with Christ. And every time the devil tells you a lie, you'll be, dun, 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 dum. You'd you stomp on it. Dum, 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 dum. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. He has delivered us. He has set his favor upon us. He has anointed us for our lives. He has called us for a purpose. He has put his life in us. We're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of that world. And that's what I want to leave us with this evening. Thank you.